Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I am so happy you are here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about all things to do with motherhood and parenting and explore the joys and the challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to inspire us all on our parenting adventures and to support parents to raise their children with more awareness, connection and love. Welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm really delighted to have Maru Rojas on the call with me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm really delighted to be here too. So Maru is originally from Mexico, but she currently lives in London. She's an aware parenting instructor and parent to two young children. She has a keen interest in elimination communication and potty learning as a way to help children to be aware and to learn about their bodies. She also loves looking at aware parenting in a holistic way as a philosophy for raising children and reparenting ourselves. And it is through aware parenting that she has come to understand that children are inherently good and whole and that our role as parents is to trust their own perfect wisdom. Wow. Love that. (laughs) I love that. So let's just start off by saying briefly a bit about how you came into aware parenting and how this came to be such an important part of your life. Um, so this started about, it's probably, my daughter was six months, so I'm going to say it's probably about four years ago. Before coming to Aware Parenting, I read The Continuing Concept, and I sort of really resonated with that idea that parents have to just be confident leaders and then get out of the way, basically. And, and I was doing all the kind of continuum parenting practices, like, you know, attachment-based practices like co-sleeping and breastfeeding on the man and all of this. And I remember thinking that in the book, she never really talks about sleep. Sleep seemed to be just a thing that, you know, happened easily. And of course, this is a completely different setting because in traditional communities, you know, sleep looks it looks very different. We're not sleeping in our beds in separate bedrooms and all of this. But still, you know, I was wondering, like, what do they do? You know, why is my baby waking up 10 times in the night every 45 minutes, every two hours? And I breastfeed her and she's not happy and she's still awake. Like, they don't talk, she doesn't talk about that. You know, what do the parents do? And... I kept coming back to it and kind of rereading it and thinking, but well, I'm doing all the things. And she's still it's the way fussy during the day and fussy in the evening and crying. And I felt really guilty when she cried at the beginning. And like I was doing something wrong. I wasn't quite getting it right because she was crying. And, you know, when I reread, reread the book the first time, my understanding was if you do all these things, babies don't really cry. They have no, no reason to cry. And then luckily a friend told me about the aware baby. And she read all, I think by then she was reading like uh, Tears and Tantrums or one of other of, of others, uh, Aletha's books. And she told me about it and I read it. I was really like desperately looking for something that would help me with her sleep that wasn't sleep training. I came very close to uh, contacting someone who I know did sleep training but I just, I couldn't do it. And I was really, really desperate because a lot of the forums as well would say, well, you just, you know, this is just normal infant sleep and you just kind of have to put up with it and they'll grow out of it. And I was so sleep deprived. I would wake up crying in the morning. 
so I found the away baby and I thought, oh, this is it. This is this is the bit that was missing. This is the, the part that no one had told me about. And I don't have to feel guilty if she cries. And I mean, it was a long process, you know. It, it, it took me months to really get comfortable with her crying. But, but we got there. <laughs> we got there in the end. And I just, you know, after reading The Aware Baby, uh, I then read Cooperative and Connected. And when I was pregnant with my second, my son, I decided I want to become certified. I want to be an instructor and I want to be able to help parents because I already felt within myself that the journey with him would be very different. And the calm and the knowledge and the, the space that I had to listen to his feelings felt completely different and I wanted to share that with the parents mm. um so that's kind of long story of <laughs> how I came to web parenting oh it's so beautiful and it's such a common picture for people to come to aware parenting from this really passionate attachment parenting base and that and that was my my story too and that we have this strong desire to love and connect with and support and be close to our children and then we find that in spite of the fact that we're meeting all their needs really promptly and that we're close and loving and soft and holding our children and all the rest of it, that there is this idea that they shouldn't need to cry if we're meeting all those needs. And then we realize that actually there's a whole other side about crying and that, yes, when we've met all their needs, that part of crying is taken away. But the second role of crying as a, as a way to express feelings and to release stress is, is just not well understood at all. And then once we get that picture and we understand that part, it just feels like the, the final piece has fallen into place. And it sounds that's like it. that's how it was for you too. Uh, you were talking about your son and saying that the second time round, it, it was going to be very different because you had this piece in place right from the beginning. Can you talk a bit about that and the contrast of those two experiences with both of your children? Sure. I mean, Already from pregnancy, it was a lot calmer. And this was external circumstances as well, because we, even though we were in a pandemic, it was actually a time of real calm and slowness for us as a family, because there wasn't much to do. We kept to ourselves. We went out for a daily walk, play in the park. We came back. And it was a, it was like a very slow, nice rhythm and routine that really brought us all together. And we were really connected uh, because of the circumstances. And so already when I was pregnant with him, I was a lot calmer. And I think that really helped with uh, with my daughter. I had previous stories of miscarriage and I was very anxious and I was working all the time. So this time around, already from pregnancy, the story was different and I was looking after myself more. And, and then when he was born, interestingly, his birth story was very similar to my daughter's. And we ended up, even though he was born at home and the actual birth was beautiful and everything I thought it would be, we ended up having to go to hospital and being separated, which is exactly what happened with my daughter and it was it was real kind of emotional roller coaster and I find that really hard to process that but you know I did a lot of crying and my husband knew how I felt because I wanted so badly to avoid this going into hospital and like we couldn't avoid it and I, we ended up going to hospital but the impact on him I could tell the way he was able to heal from that separation was just completely different so from you know from I would say maybe a couple of weeks after he was born my husband really did most of the listening at this point and every evening he would just stay with him um, and listen to him cry and sometimes it would be two hours sometimes maybe three hours and yeah and we just had we just really had that space and then at one point you know we were very tired and my mum came over from Mexico to support us 
And she said, well, how can I help? And I said, well, the best you can do is just sit with him. We're going to go and do something else. We're going to go and, you know, lie in bed and have a little sleep or whatever. Just stay with him. And she found out hard at the beginning because she's not used to listening to feelings. But after a little while, you know, she did an amazing job of just sitting there with him. And eventually she would start doubting herself and she'd come to us and she'd, do you think he's still okay? Do you think everything, do you think he wants some milk? I'm like, you know, don't worry, we'll take over and we'll do some more listening. You've done 45 minutes and that was amazing. So just having this space for him to heal was complete, completely different to, you know, the way I could feel his body. It is still to this day very relaxed. It's like a very, the best way to describe it, it's like a very supple baby, well, toddler now. Even when you pick him up, he's rarely tense. If he's tense, I know that there's some feelings moving under the surface, but generally his body feels very supple. His sleep has been, you know, I would say he sleeps like a baby should sleep. And this is a funny one because I think people say, oh, babies sleep like this and they wake up every two hours and that's normal. But actually I've seen his sleep change and progress and to kind of get into what a, an, an infant and then a baby and a toddler should be sleeping like. And it's completely different. You know, it's, so it has been a, a very different experience. And sometimes with two, it's, I do also find it harder to listen to his feelings. Sometimes, you know, it's juggling one and the other and if they both need to cry and what, what to do and if we need to get out of the house and all of this. But generally, we just had so much more space, especially when he was little. My daughter would be in bed and we'd just be holding him and, and listening to his feelings. Oh, it's so beautiful. What an amazing story. I was really struck by you saying the impact of, of your stress levels second time round, being a mother and being so much more relaxed about it and, and that that also impacts then on our children. And in spite of the fact that yeah, he obviously had quite a stressful birth and, and a difficult time in the first moments and, and days after birth, but that he's been able to heal through all that by expressing his feelings and you holding him. And then, yeah, you describe his body as being so relaxed and, and him being so free of that tension that otherwise would be would be there and you would be able to see it after having that experience. And how amazing that your mum was willing to listen to feelings. That's so touching and beautiful. I'm wondering how, how that then impacted on your relationship with her and whether some stuff came up for you to heal as well around that experience through her understanding this process. That's beautiful. Well, it's actually, it has brought us closer. And, you know, my mum has this tendency to want to fix and want to, you know, if it's an adult, want to offer advice. And if it's a child, she wants to fix it. She wants to make it better. So we stop crying. And after listening to him, we became a lot closer and, and, and I can now call her and just cry on the phone for 15, 20 minutes, you know, and she won't, she won't say a thing. And if she starts saying, you know, well, maybe you should do this. And I will just go and remind her, you know, actually, I just needed to listen to me. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I'm listening. I'm listening. And that's been so healing because obviously we're so far away with me being in London and she's in Mexico. And sometimes I, I don't have the family support that I wish I'd had here, but I can call her and I can say, you know, I'm really struggling. So we were ill uh, with COVID a couple of weeks ago and I could just call her and say, I feel so sick and I don't know what to do. And how am I going to look after the kids tomorrow? And I think even just that, you know, crying for 20 minutes with her made me feel much better. And I was able to, you know, carry on with the afternoon. Wow, I've got goosebumps hearing that. How beautiful. Really <laughs> extraordinary. What a gift for her. What a gift for you. And what a gift for your beautiful kids as well. Wow. Yeah. And it sounds like your partner was fully on board from, from the beginning. How, how did that process go? Because that so often comes up in sessions with people that <laughs> their partners, usually their husbands are not on board with it. Or, so yeah, you... I mean, we've been very open from the beginning. 
I read The Continuum Concept. I think he read it as well. I think that's probably the only book he's read. <laughs> as you know, I made him read Capture and Connected. I said, you have to read this one. Uh, but I will often also highlight the bits that he has to read. He's very open to the way, you know, I kind of propose parenting. Um, and of course, we both have very different backgrounds, very different upbringings, not, not also because, you know, he's from England and I'm from Mexico. So then he's Jewish and, and um, uh, come from a Catholic background. So all of these things were very different in the way we were raised. But he is very open. So we can talk about these things a lot. And when I discovered the Aware Baby, it, like I said, it was through a friend. And I think that really helped because I said, you know, she recommended this. I think, you know, we both know her, we're both friends with her. Should we try it? And he was also so desperate, you know, because neither of us was sleeping at that point. I was sleeping less, but he also wasn't sleeping. Um, and he could see me deteriorating. So he's like, yeah, let's give it a go. Um, and it was really hard at the beginning, I think, for both of us. And for some reason, I guess we didn't have the right support. And it's something I wish we'd, you know, maybe done differently and, and got um, support from someone earlier on the journey. We just read the book and tried some things out. We, we did a lot of listening at night. And so that was really hard. And, you know, I now say to parents, you know, if, if you're going to listen to your baby cry and do it in a day, there's no need to do it at one in the morning. Uh, but we did do all this listening at one in the morning until, you know, sometimes for a couple of hours. And it would either be me or him holding our daughter and listening then. But, but luckily he could see then that her sleep could start to improve and, you know, she started to be a bit more relaxed and calmer and she could play with her, you know, kind of independently a bit more and all, all the beautiful things that come out from, you know, not being so burdened with all these feelings. So, yeah, he's, it's been it's been a blessing really having him kind of alongside and on board with everything like I said he doesn't he doesn't read stuff that's not he's not interested in it as I am but if I tell him you know you have to listen to this and sometimes we'll be in the car and like okay we're going to put the Aware Parenting podcast on and just listen to that and he's always very open yeah that's so helpful isn't it so much easier when your partner's on board too and can take some of that role and sometimes the partner is the one who who does the play but doesn't listen to feelings you know does the attachment play side of things so that can often be easier for for partners but yeah it's it's such a blessing once once that it's not just you who's doing the doing the aware parenting in the house yeah that's amazing so you've talked a lot about listening to feelings. Can we talk a little bit about play as well and what aspects of attachment play you you particularly love and that you found really helpful in your family and with the clients that you work with? So I think with attachment play, we came to it kind of later. And I think that's a journey that a lot of people follow with the way parenting as well. Maybe also because my daughter was a baby and she was six months. So we think that she couldn't play at that time, but of course she could, but we weren't aware of it. So, yeah, we started just like by focusing, like really listening to the feelings and crying and all of that. And then I, thanks to um, Rebecca, who's the parenting uh, instructor that I, I got in touch with here in London, I really started looking at attachment play and, and you know, kind of seeing the benefit of that as well. And I was equally healing um, as crying. Um, so actually, I'll talk about my experience with my son, because with him, we were able to play with him from the beginning. Again, knowing that babies can play and that the play is healing, that laughter is healing. From a very young age, he was playing, you know, peekaboo, for example. So we would play that before bed. Um, he's really into this kind of power reversal games of pushing us over, you know, kind of just touching us and we pretend to fall over and fall back. And uh, and he often brings this kind of play before bedtime. So, uh, so it's become part of our routine. We just do five, ten minutes of that and laughing. 
all the kind of contingency play. He likes to touch my nose and a, a sound happens or, you know, I've got a little mole on my arm and he touches that and a different thing happens. So play has, yeah, it's really become part of our parenting. And especially with my uh, with my son, we can really see that he, he brings that to us. He'll, you know, we'll be sitting down and he'll just try and push us over and he wants to play all the time. And we also do, you know, we try and do 15, 15 20 minutes of, of play every evening before bed. Um, so that's part of, become part of our routine. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually attachment play has been so helpful for, for me to help other parents because a lot of the issues that we deal with in potty treatment, potty learning um, are to do with children being afraid, for example, of using the potty or releasing their bladders or letting go of a part of their body. So attachment play really comes in handy because, you know, you can't, you can't really force a child to let go and sit down and pray or pee or whatever, uh, but you can play around it so their feelings are, you know, able to come out and then they can relax into it. Um, so I, I would say nine times out of ten, the majority of potty training issues are solved through attachment play. Uh, and sometimes parents, you know, come to me not knowing about where parenting, so that's the first introduction they get to where parenting is through attachment play. Uh, some of them are interested in other things and, you know, in the broader perspective of where parenting and we move on to tears and feelings and crying and sometimes we just stay in that attachment play part but I find it so useful I wouldn't be able to support parents if I didn't know about it or it would look very different Mm. that's really interesting yeah and so that's something that you're particularly interested in that elimination communication and and potty learning can you uh, explain a little bit about that in case people listening don't know what elimination communication is and and how you've used that in your own family to support your children Sure. So elimination communication is basically knowing that children can use the potty from birth or the toilet from birth. Um, so it's uh, tuning into their needs, just like tuning to their needs for, you know, hunger cues and, and tired cues and all of this. So knowing that they need to eliminate either we or poo and offering a suitable place, so a potty or the toilet or the sink even uh, for them to eliminate. Uh, we do use nappies, so it's not like an all or nothing approach, uh, but it's just kind of being more aware of their elimination needs as well and uh, and respecting that and offering a, a place where they can go without soiling themselves. Um, so with my daughter, um, I started when she was 10 weeks old and with my son from birth. Again, it's what happens when you're a more experienced parent. <laughs> you're able to do more things that, that you feel comfortable and confident in doing. And it's, it becomes just, it's just become part of our routine. You know, it was, again, it was a, it's something that my husband was open to doing. So I tried it out with my daughter because I read it online and I thought, this sounds too good to be true and kind of weird. And I'm going to try it. If it doesn't work, we'll just stop. Um, but after three days of holding her over the toilet, she was regularly going. So I thought this is, this, I don't see why it would do any different. Mm-hmm. Um, so we continued like that. And actually that allowed me to start using reusable nappies because then I didn't have to do so much washing. I really wanted to use reusable nappies and I couldn't find the time and space to do all the washing. Um, but actually because we were doing EC, that you know made it a lot easier. And my husband came on board because um, he saw that it was working and he's like, oh, this is amazing. And now he's like the main proponent of EC. He goes around telling people (laughs) that, you know, the babies can also use a potty. And yeah, like I said, it's just part of our routine. So um, when my son was a baby, he would wake up from a nap and, you know, generally you change a nappy. So for us, it looked more like you hold him over the potty. 
if it needs to go, it goes. If not, we change his nappy and we continue with our day. Um, so it's just we, we've made it into part of our routine and it means that um, they are aware of their bodies at a very early age. So that by, I think it's 16, 17 months, uh, they're both out of nappies because they could tell us, you know, regularly, like they need to use the toilet. So and I think for, for me, um, I really hope that elimination medication will become part of like a more mainstream way of parenting where we just offer the potty and we know that it's an option. Mm. I love hearing about that. And I lo- I'm really interested in the how it supports our children to be more in tune with their bodies. And there are so many aspects of aware parenting that support and encourage our children as they grow up to be deeply connected to their needs and to be able to communicate their needs and particularly their needs around their body. And I can see now, like my kids are much older, but they're so much more tuned into their bodies and what they need in any moment than I am. And, you know, when they're Mm. tired, they go to bed and when they're thirsty they drink water and you know I'm uh, whereas I get to the end of the day and think oh I haven't actually had a glass of water all day (laughs) and so it's such a it's such an added bonus what about some of the other aspects about aware parenting so for example not having non-punitive discipline and not using you know not having punishments and rewards and that kind of thing How, how have you incorporated that into your family and um I think that not having rewards has been easier for sure. I don't think we were, we were parented with rewards. I don't remember it. So it wasn't something that I felt called to do. The no punishments has been harder. And that's because I was brought up in a traditional Mexican family, a Latino family. And for Latino families, hierarchy and respect are very important. And respect of elders, which doesn't necessarily come from an intrinsic natural respect, but it's, you know, it's kind of respect based on fear often. So there was, yeah, there were, there, there were a lot of, of not so many punishments when we were young, but there was definitely, you know, if it kind of behavioral approaches to uh, the changing our behavior, you know, if we don't do this, we don't do that. And if I wanted to do this, then we have to do that. So that's, I really find it hard sometimes, uh, especially when I'm feeling uh, triggered by some of my daughter's, you know, attitudes and things to not go like, well, you're not going to get an ice cream next time. (laughs) That kind of, you know, reaction. That's the first thought that goes to my head. And then like, okay, this is how I'm feeling. Breathe. You know, this is where it's coming from. And let's move away from that and see how, you know, we can change that situation and play actually has been really good in those moments uh if I can remember it's like okay we don't need to correct the behavior we don't need to correct the behavior I kind of repeat that in my head like it's okay and then we sometimes we can come in with play and you know make it fun and then it's it's much easier not to try and move into punishment and obviously punishment I'm not talking about traditional you know I've never been tempted to do a timeout or a naughty step or anything like that but sometimes it's punishment can creep in in different ways if you know like oh this is a consequence for your behavior but actually it's not a consequence it's a punishment or a threat Mm -hmm. so yeah I'm just I have to be very aware of those things uh, and I make an effort and I work on that all the time it's just my part of my upbringing and my inner child Um, and it's interesting because I can see when I'm saying these things it's little me that is, you know, kind of saying these things and knowing that it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good when it was said to me. It didn't feel good when it was done to me. But I, in that moment, I, I feel like I have no other way. So it's that kind of being pushed into a corner that I go like, well, this is the only way that I know. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so really, that's why a lot of work parenting is it's doing all that work and saying like, oh, I felt pushed into a corner and this led me to react in this way. Uh, and this is where it's coming from. And then I can have a lot of compassion for myself for, you know, acting like that and saying those things that I didn't necessarily want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and try and do differently the next time. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's it is it's really important for us to be honest about the fact that it is it is difficult and we do sometimes get pushed right back into those moments from from our past there's that beautiful scott noel quote which is you know you're face to face with the unfinished business of your childhood when you have a harsh reaction to your child and yeah so we do get taken back there in an instant and yeah sometimes we can pause and breathe and bring our awareness to the moment and sometimes we just can't we're just there before we know it we flicked into that so it's really helpful to remember that 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 is the reality for all of us and it's just we keep coming back to how we want things to be and we keep giving ourselves compassion when we don't parent the way we want to be and we are reactive rather than responding and then yeah just keep trying harder and and forgiving ourselves when we don't quite don't quite do yeah. it how we want. Yeah, that's really helpful. That's it. And it is such a different paradigm, isn't it? It's such a different way of looking at it. And it's so commonly believed in our cultures that, you know, we have to punish our children in order to teach them right from wrong and that, you know, we have to force them to respect us, otherwise they won't be respectful. And yet yeah. I've seen yeah. again and again that it's exactly the opposite that's true. But, yeah, it's so strongly entrenched. Yeah. Yeah, and if I don't if I don't correct this behavior now, then it's going to happen for the next forever, you know. And if we don't change this behavior and nip it in the bud, then it's going to keep happening forever. And mm. um, yeah, it's a real behaviorist approach to yeah to parenting. I love what you said in um, in, in the introduction in the, in the bio where you talk about how aware parenting has has allowed you to see the children, the goodness of of children, and the the wholeness and the completeness and the perfection of children, regardless, you know, just they are by nature loving and, and good. And that, uh, I think that that comes into it too, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. And I, I do often think that parenting is just getting out of the way. <laughs> you know, It's the more you can get out of the way because, yeah, we come with our own stories, our own traumas, our own experiences. Uh, and often, yeah, that's from the, the place from where we're parenting. We're actually, if if they're born into a culture that supports their goodness and their, you know, their true nature, all we have to do is just allow for them to to grow, really, and trust that you know, they they know they have all the mechanisms, all the, you know, the innate knowledge to uh, to heal from trauma, from stress, anything that could happen. So yeah, often it's it's almost like getting out of the way, parenting. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that bit about the trust, trusting our children. And then when you treat your children with trust, they trust themselves and they believe themselves to be trustworthy. And yeah, it's such a in such an important part. It's so beautiful. Mm. What about loving limits and how how easy did you find that as a concept to apply in your family? Oh, that's a good question. I, again, I think practice has really helped. And maybe because we did start when she was, you know, sort of six months, nine months, that's when we started practicing with parenting. And that is sort of the age when you start with, you know, when they start moving and crawling and trying to grab things that you start to maybe setting a limit uh, with certain things. Um, I think, again, it's it's really been uh, the work for me has been being able to distinguish when it's a loving limit and when I'm just kind of setting a kind of angry boundary, <laughs> you know, uh, and distinguishing from those two of like, I really coming from a place of calm and peace and love, 
not going to let you do this versus you're making me cross and I'm just don't, you know, just stop whatever you're doing. And I think it's very different Um, and uh, learning to distinguish from the two and really, you know, trying to move into become peaceful. I won't let you do that. I'm not willing for you to do that is yeah, that's where the work has been. But I'd say we have both me and my partner become pretty good at it. Uh, and we also see the benefits, you know, of, of setting a loving limit. And, you know, we, we have a little joke where we, you know, we can see that there's feelings under the surface and we just kind of look at each other and go like, yeah, loving limits. <laughs> and, and we just know that, you know, that they kind of the children are pushing, they're looking for, for something to, for, for one of us to set a limit so they can release those feelings. Mm. Actually, it happened yesterday with my daughter but just before we were going out in the morning and we'd had quite a difficult week, actually. And we both knew that there were feelings there. And she she's four, almost four and a half. So the tears don't come as easy as they used to when she was a toddler. So, so they kind of tend to accumulate more and more uh, now than, than they used to before. And yeah, one of us had to set a limit yesterday. And, and then the tears came and the crying came for a good hour and a half. And yeah, it was difficult, but today I could see the difference in her. It's like, you know, black and white. And that is something that I really wish parents as well to know. You know, I went often when I went with parents and I asked them, how, how much does your child cry? Especially if they're above, you know, over two, they will say, oh, not very much, really, not very much. They're great. It's only when they hurt themselves or, you know, when they, they, they don't really cry anymore. And, and there's a sense of, you know, relief and almost like achievement or like my child is a good child because they don't cry so much. And I really want to embrace them and say, no, you want your child to, you know, be able to cry. It, it should be like they cry a lot and they laugh a lot, you know, like once a day. They cry once a day and they laugh once a day. Perfect. Or three times a day. That's great. So I, I would love to see, a, you know, a place where, where parents are really like saying my child is amazing because they, they can cry and they can laugh. Mm. Yeah, that's the different perspective as well, isn't it? I loved what you were saying about the loving limit and the difference. I also struggled with loving limits to start with. They weren't very loving. I got the limit bit right, but I didn't get the loving bit right. It took me a little while to learn that that the really important thing, the really crucial thing about the loving limit is the lovingness and that you have to really shine your love on your child whilst you're setting that limit. And if you're not in the space to be able to do that, then don't try because you can't, <laughs> but um, yeah, for it to be effective, for it to be really loving and kind and connected and clear and firm. And I can really feel it now in my body. Like I, in the past, when I first started doing this, I didn't really feel that deep sense in my body of, of clarity about what I was doing. And then as I got better at it, I really could feel that was really clear about whether it was a a yes or a no to what they were doing and and so there was no sort of ambiguity and sort of I was just clear and strong and and able to stay loving when I could and it just it's a completely different thing and this as you say it then allows your children to just push up against that and to release and express whatever it is and then afterwards they're transformed into you can see how relaxed they are. You can see how loving they are. And they want to kind of crawl into your arms and sit on you and cuddle. And it's just, yeah, it's a totally different thing. But it's such a powerful tool. I really find it so helpful. Mm. You know, they, 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 need, they need to express their feelings. They need a limit. And, and I can do that for them right now. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's so lovely. What about our healing journey in all this? Because obviously such a central part of aware parenting is getting support and listening for ourselves to explore our conditioned beliefs and our thoughts that we've grown and created throughout our lives and to make sure that our beliefs are a bit more in line with what we really value now and what we know to be true now and and also like identifying that our needs actually matter occasionally as well (laughs) how's that process been for you again that's been something that's come later I think partly because the attachment style parenting that I was doing I do find some sort of attachment style parenting or the way that's promoted to parents is very much about just meeting your child's needs above and everything else. And I was exhausted from it. <laughs> you know, like, when do I get time to shower and not have a screaming baby and feel like I'm doing something wrong because the baby's screaming? When do I get to, you know, not have a baby that's sleeping right next to me all the time, every day, all day. So yeah, it it was very much about meeting my daughter's needs without looking at my needs. And then as we came to where parenting, it was very much about letting her express her feelings. And that was all new to me. And it took some practice and some getting used to, and especially with the crying, you know, just being comfortable with her crying and knowing that I was doing the right thing. That took a little while. And then came the attached from play. So it was like all these pieces in the puzzle, you know, came one by one. And then came the attached from play and then having fun and laughing and seeing the healing effects of that. And then finally, it's like, oh, good, I also need time to myself. You know, I also need to look after myself. And there's only so many feelings I can listen to. There's only so much play I can do if I don't have time to listen to my own feelings and to my own frustrations. And yeah, that took me a good year, a year and a half maybe to actually start talking to someone. And sometimes that looked like having a consultation with an aware parenting instructor. Often that looked like talking to my husband, but I realized that also we needed to have our own listening partners. So I started doing therapy during lockdown, which I found so helpful. I did IFS therapy, internal family systems, which is mm-hmm. I find at least from my experience, very much in alignment with the web parenting uh, and talking to all these younger parts of ourselves. And that's when I really started seeing, you know, the healing and the space and seeing the five-year-old me and seven-year-old me and where all these different angry parts and were coming from and reactive parts. And then soon after that, I I found a a listening partner. So it's, yeah, it's been a journey of learning to listen to my own feelings uh to be more aware of my own feelings and how that feels in my body as well I wasn't very exactly like you you know it comes to like 10 p.m and like have I have I gone to the toilet all day today (laughs) have I drank any water I can't remember it's not good that I can't remember (laughs) because that means I haven't listened to myself a single moment in this day yeah or just pushing through you know with exhaustion until the last minute because I just have to finish this and not respecting that there is you know that my body also needs to rest and do other things and it hasn't happened recently but I was the sort of person that would get ill when they when I had my body was saying please stop please take a break I wouldn't get ill for like two years and then suddenly you know like a flu or a cold or something saying like please you know <laughs> slow down take a break so it, it yeah that hasn't happened so much I feel like I'm getting better at it but it's definitely been a journey and I have been become much better at meeting my own needs as well in kind of day-to-day and 
uh, we now have like set days, me and my husband, where, you know, he goes and does his own thing in the evenings and I do my own thing. So that's really, really helped. And that's another thing when I talk to parents, I ask parents, you know, have you got, do you do things that you enjoy? Have you got time for yourself? And nine times out of 10, the answer is no. And I think, well, this is so important. You need to, you know, do whatever you like, do something that you love, take time for yourself. And again, this is what I love about parenting. It's a whole picture thing. It's not like we're just giving to our children. We're just, you know, creating space for them. We're just allowing their feelings. It's also, what are you doing for yourself? And I love that that's an intrinsic part of our parenting. It's not an afterthought. It's kind of meeting your needs, looking after yourself, doing things you enjoy and looking at your own triggers and the way you were brought up are really important. Mm. Yeah, so much. And when we do parent from that more sort of classical attachment style, it is so exhausting and unsustainable and we do put ourselves last and it's really it's really tricky to to break out of that and to to realize that we need to look after ourselves and even when i understood it initially i still thought yeah but it's a bit selfish isn't it <laughs> if i look after me and yeah it was so transformative when i realized that actually this was not only a fundamental part of aware parenting but was you know really 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 important to prioritize and then i just see our children and i think you know having been raised this way i mean my kids are 16 and 18 now and i just know that when they become parents themselves, they're just going to be so much more closely connected with all that. I mean, first of all, they have a lot less healing to do than than I've had, mm. uh, although there will still be some inevitably, but they're also so much, they'll be so much clearer about that need to take care of themselves and to meet their needs in, in parenthood because that's just been their life and part of their life and their understanding. But it's tricky for us as first generation people to, to really get that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I didn't have rest modeled to me. I know my mum works really hard, often working two jobs at one point, foregoing things so that she could buy things for us. And yeah, there was there was just no modeling of it. So I did feel like, do I get did is it okay that I'm just going out now and you know, can I leave my children? And is is that a bit selfish? And you know, it took a little while. And this, and now I can say to my daughter, actually, I, I don't want you to sit on my lap right now. I need a little bit of space. And she respects that. You know, she understands, like, right now. And then she'll say, well, when you finish, you know, drinking your coffee, can I sit on your lap? And I say, yeah, absolutely. I just need some space to finish my coffee. And I'd like to finish my coffee on my own. And then you can come sit on my lap. And even just those little moments and those little bits of we're individuals and we all need our, our time, our space, and to have our needs met are super important. So good for you to be modeling that as well, because so many of us model to our children this sort of selfless, exhausted mother um, picture. We, I would, I don't want my daughter to grow up to be a mother who puts herself last. And so, yeah, when we can model that to our children, it's so important. I love that your daughter already, even at age four, understands that and is able to respect that for you. It's so nice, so powerful. I always ask people like, what, what do you wish you'd known? Is there anything like if you look back now at the beginning and you think about what you know now about aware parenting, what would have been most helpful for you to know at the beginning? There's so many new people coming into the aware parenting community. So it's really helpful to hear that. Uh, Sure. I think the most useful thing for me would have been to know actually two things. One is that we don't ever really need to correct the behaviour. I think that's super powerful. And I've, I've heard this from a different perspective as well. I recently read Hunt, Gather, Parent. With, I'm sorry, I forgot the author. Du, I can't, Ducleaf or something. I can't remember her surname. 
And, you know, she talks about how in Inuit cultures, children are never reprimanded. They're never punished. They're never, in fact, the behavior is never corrected. And of course, one thing that she doesn't mention, and I, I will be a little bit critical of this, is that Inuit parents are able to keep that calm and never, ever reprimand a child because they were never reprimanded themselves. And this is so powerful. It's a little bit that she misses out on, that we are not as capable of doing this because we've never been you know, treated like this. Mm. But yeah, Inuit parents don't get angry. They generally don't get angry. They never feel the need to reprimand their children to correct their behavior, to fix it. They just sort of go like, oh, you threw a glass. Okay, we'll pick the glass. We'll make a game of it. We'll carry on with our day. That's it. Um, so, yeah, that little kind of, you know, we never really need to correct behavior has been super powerful. And the second one is related to this. Actually, a lot of the times all we need to do is play incorporate a play in, into our daily lives and this is what I'm working on actually just incorporate a play even more whenever we can we just play and sometimes I noticed you know recently we were with friends in the park and my son wanted to play and I felt a little bit self-conscious so it's it, um, that, that's something that I picked up on like oh, I felt a bit self-conscious you know being the silly kind of we're just playing and we wanted to leave the park but I knew that play was the right thing to do and I felt like maybe someone was watching and I wasn't totally myself uh, so that's the next step of you know being able to be playful and silly wherever we are and any time any place and yeah I wish I'd known this earlier that play is just an incredible tool for parenting it's so powerful isn't it it's so powerful and healing for us too as you say to to give ourselves permission to be silly and to tend to those parts of us that feel a bit self-conscious about being being silly but yeah, and laughter, the power of laughter, wow. It's just so, it's so amazing for every situation pretty much. And mm. Yeah, I used to have a motto when my kids were little, which was like, if in doubt, play. And that was any time you came into <laughs> any, any challenging situation of any sort, just play, just play. <laughs> That's such a great motto. I, I'm going to remember that one, if in doubt, play. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That's really helpful. What about your, your dreams and your, your vision for aware parenting? Do you have, do you have thoughts about how you would like it? I mean, it's obviously, it feels like there's real momentum at the moment around a massive increase in numbers of people who are coming into the aware parenting community, which is wonderful. And I know Aletha's about to publish a new book and she's, she's very keen. She now sees that, that it may be a mainstream thing for the community to understand this this way but I wonder what your visions might be I'd just like to see where parenting you know continue to grow and for it not to be because it is growing I agree with you but it's still because it's such a paradigm shift mm. it still sits at the fringes of you know even the gentle parenting different mm. parenting styles and I know there are a lot of like parenting styles I see the way where parenting is something bigger than just a parenting style. Like I said, it just incorporates everything because a lot of the parenting styles, they're kind of on the right track, but they're very much about, you know, the way we look after our children, but they don't talk about the way we look after ourselves and they don't talk about the way that healing from trauma and stressful experiences happen through crying and laughter. So it feels very much like a one directional, very prescriptive way of doing things. Whereas the way parenting is more intuitive, it's about finding a way, but it's also about the whole picture, looking after ourselves, looking after our children. So it's a complete paradigm shift, you know, knowing that crying is good. It's not only children crying, we should respect their feelings. That's kind of become more part of the mainstream. We should allow for children's feelings. But actually, it's not just allowing for children's feelings, it's knowing that children are healing through this crying. It's 
so I think there is a big paradigm shift that would need to happen for it to become become mainstream. And I can see how difficult it's going to be for some people to come to that. And I have lots of compassion and lots of time and love for those people who struggle with, you know, accepting that. I, I also see the privilege of the way I was raised and the privilege of uh, coming from a middle-class family with parents who were together, we're housed, we had education, all of these things, which, you know, led to me being here and being able to parent in this way and that a lot of people don't have that. So, yeah, my wish is just to, I guess, that it becomes more well-known, mm-hmm. uh, but also that we all have the support that we deserve mm-hmm. so that we can get there. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it is seeing aware parenting as not a means to an end. It's not a prescriptive way. It's it's a way of life, actually. It's just a way of being with ourselves and our children. So it's a totally different long-term picture thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. Think like aware life, it's yes. more of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm now thinking about it because my kids are getting older. I'm like, oh, maybe aware grandparenting is going to be a thing. <laughs> yeah. What about just quickly then? Are there some resources that you've found particularly helpful in this process that you would recommend? You've talked about the aware baby and cooperative and connected. Those two of Aletha's books that are particularly helpful. Are there other things that you've found? With aware parenting, I think now that uh, Marion and Elle's podcast is out there and your podcast, I think listening to podcasts also when you're a new parent can be really useful because you can just have that on the background while you're doing other things. And it's sometimes listening to the same thing being said by different people in different ways, really, you know, it's finding the one that resonates with you, the one you connect to. Mm. So I found, yeah, the podcast really helped. All of Alita's books, obviously. Tears and Tantrums, Attachment Play. Actually, Attachment Play is a beautiful book. I find it really good to recommend to parents because of the way it's written, it allows you to just dip in and out. And like, it's almost like, oh, I have an issue with nightmares. What should I do? I have an issue with potty learning. What can I do to, you know, I'm just sort of picking out games. Um, so it can be a really nice and gentle introduction to aware parenting, attachment play. And yeah, I think those are the main ones. Mm. Yeah, I love that book too. And I like the way she set it out. It's so helpful. Like you say, it's just set out by, if you're struggling with this, here's some games for you. And if you're struggling with this, here's some games for you. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, I am just finishing a book. I'm sure people know about this, but this is more trauma-based. So, And and I love that we're parenting as well as a trauma-informed way of parenting. So The Body Keeps the Score. I think Mm. it's a a basic book on trauma. Mm, Uh, And again, when when you read those things and, you know, it all comes back to the same, like, oh, I see, of course, you know, this is what happens when we don't listen to feelings. And he's talking about trauma, deep trauma. But but even you you could say that in, in a lower level, everyday experiences because I do think our culture is inherently traumatic or traumatizing to to children and adults you know you can see how those little bits of trauma and little bits of you know discomfort and wounds start piling up and accumulating and staying in the body and in ourselves so yeah yeah I love all of his books actually and I emailed him and asked him if he would come on my podcast and he said he will when I reach an audience of 50,000 so that's what oh, well, keep my fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm aiming for. <laughs> yeah. Great. So um, how can people find out more about you, Maru, and what do you offer? How do you support parents? So, well, first of all, there's my website, which is parenttogether.co.uk. 
and I have all my offerings there and I'm based in London so I have online classes on potty learning and elimination communication if you wanted to get started with either of those or if you're wondering whether your baby or child is ready for either of those things. These are pre-recorded classes that people can access from my website but I'm also starting to do some in-person parenting circles, parent sharing circles. So they're based on the idea of women's circles. Yeah. They're open to parents in general. So they're kind of non, non-gender specific in that sense. Um, so just parents, uh, because we are going to have a kind of parent focus in each circle, um, just to talk about different aspects of parenting that feel maybe hard or unresolved. Um, so yeah, we're just going to come and share and create community. And that's starting from September. I hold a weekly mums listening circle. This is mums and babies. Again, you have to be based in London, but if anyone is listening from Southeast London and you want to come on a Friday, I co-run this with um, a friend um, who's also a mum and local called Hannah. And we've been running for nine months already. And it's a really beautiful circle where we just come together and we create the community that isn't there for us. Mm. Um, we invite anyone with a baby from zero to kind of 14 months to come along with babies, of course. <laughs> this one's with babies. And I am starting to do some uh, workshops as well online for, yeah, for parents. Uh, the first one's going to be on understanding uh, toddlers and pre- preschoolers. So from zero to kind of five. And that will be at the end of September. It will be live. I won't be recording this one, so it will be a live workshop uh, for those on UK European times. Well, so I'll put a link into all of that on on the show description. That sounds amazing. I love the, the mother's circles. It's such a crucial part of the the process to share with other pe- like minded people, preferably in person. Yeah, how beautiful. Yeah, and. If you were going to speak to parents, right, you know, if you were going to speak to somebody now and just leave us with a, some words of wisdom about aware parenting, what, what would you say? I would say I'm going to borrow your phrase, if in doubt, play. I think that was just beautiful the way you expressed that. And in, in that little phrase, you encapsulate everything that aware parenting is and can be you know from that play because if there's feelings and you play the feelings will come out <laughs> if you you know if, if there's a sort of behavior or things that you know they're not cooperating then play will bring that out if you know and anything that you need to do play will bring that out so yeah I, I, that's something they're really working on and I wish for all parents to find the joy and the playfulness in parenting and I see so many parents who find parenting as a kind of real hard chore and drudgery and I wish just more fun for them. That's all. How beautiful. Yes. Bringing back the joy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I'll put all those links in the show description. Thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed speaking to you and hearing about your experience and your perspectives on it all. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.